Welcome to First Mile's Climate Heroes. I'm your host, Bruce Bratley, founder of recycling company First Mile. On this show, we meet and learn from the climate heroes who are building solutions right now to tackle climate change. The built environment, everything from the construction of roads to building new cities, generates 40% of global carbon dioxide emissions annually. And this impact is a growing problem. The population is on track to hit 10 billion and the United Nations estimates that 3 million people are moving to cities every week, meaning the area of the built environment on the planet will double in the next 40 years. So there's much work to be done. And our guest today, Dr. Natasha Balding, is CEO and co-founder of Low Carbon Materials, an Earthshot Prize finalist who is on a mission to be the world leader in low carbon and environmentally friendly building materials. Natasha, welcome to First Mile's Climate Heroes. Hi, Bruce. Pleasure to be here. Great to have you on the show. So, Natasha, I mean, I probably haven't done any justice whatsoever to the enormity of the issues around the built environment. And and we quite often don't hear about the built environment because people sort of get obsessed with electric cars and generating renewable energy. But what are, you know, what are the what are the issues? Sorry, big question to start with. And why do we need low carbon materials? Well, I think the the built environment is one of the biggest sectors that we've got. So I think people don't necessarily think about it because it's it's overwhelming. Like are we talking about buildings are we talking about roads is it everything so I I can understand why people don't necessarily consider it or or don't understand what it is as a whole and I think for us we talk about the materials that are used so we need to consider are we using the right materials for the right purpose Um, can we reduce the amount of materials that we use but also can we start thinking about things differently? Why are we building with certain things? Can we concentrate more on building to dismantle rather than just building and then forgetting about what happens after that. So if the building's usually up for, for say, 50 years after that, can we dismantle it and use those materials again? So I think it's a really, really big problem. And there's lots of different companies that are innovating in the space. But it's a really exciting industry to be in right now. And why do we need, why are we taking buildings down after 50 years? Because it, it sort of, I can sort of understand if we'd sort of put it in the wrong place or it's the wrong size, but do do buildings only have a lifespan of 50 years before they sort of deteriorate? I think that's a really good question. And it's a question that I've spoken to a few architects about. No, mostly no. So the, I think the, the standard lifetime is 50 years. Um, But there's obviously buildings that are up way, way longer than that. and, And some that are potentially shorter than that as well. So it's a it's an ongoing debate whether that 50 years 50 60 years needs to actually change and whether it is still fit for purpose or not yeah and then the materials in the buildings i mean you said there in the introduction that you're rethinking and re-engineering the materials that are in the buildings so we sort of sort of mentally think oh it's a it's a it's a building it'll be made out of stone or concrete or something like that i mean is there just thousands of different materials in a building now and you know we introducing new materials like composites and plastics or is it still quite a traditional industry it's an extremely traditional industry and you'll find that a lot of the materials have been used for decades and haven't changed but there are startups that are coming through and innovations from larger organizations that are really leading the way on can we change this material do we have to glue this together in this way or or can we think about end of life and design this slightly differently so 
I think we're, we're beginning to see people start to change the way they think about that. So I want to come on to um, the types of materials we're looking at and how the how this traditional sector is starting to change and move forward. But before we get too much into the detail of it, Natasha, I'd like listeners to sort of understand how you became a climate hero because this feels a little bit like a engineering problem or an architectural problem uh, that we're trying to solve. But you, you're, you're neither. I'm not. I'm not. Um, in fact, before, I guess, 2019, 2020, I didn't have any experience in the concrete and construction industry. And I think the best quote I ever heard, and I still think about it, is the problem doesn't know your expertise. So the, the problem has no idea that you're a chemist or you're an engineer or you're an architect. And actually, we we primarily look at concrete itself. And that really is a, a chemistry problem and a chemistry challenge. So how that concrete is used in a building and and design and things like that very much is more on the engineering architecture side. But in terms of materials science and materials development, chemists have have a good expertise to solve that. So I would say we're perfectly placed as material scientists, really. I class myself as potentially not so much anymore, but um, a material scientist by training. So it's we're perfectly placed to um, try and tackle the problem, really. If we're looking at, because I, I know your sort of expertise is in concrete, which we're coming to, but if you're looking at, if we're looking at the sort of the, the built environment, you know, from everything from railways to to cities and roads, what are the main materials? Is concrete sort of head and shoulders above everything else, or or is there sort of like a, a range of materials just to give the listeners the context of the of the sort of uh, challenge that you're working on? Yeah, concrete is the second most used material globally after water. So that puts into context how much we use concrete and it it has a significant carbon footprint. So the fact it's the second most used material globally and also has one of the highest carbon footprints, those two facts alone just mean that we need to do what we can to innovate within the sector. And so building materials, very traditional building materials like timber or clay tiles or things like that, they're just tiny now compared to what we're building in concrete. I think we're seeing an increase in people building with timber as a sustainable material. Um, I think it's got its own challenges. Do we have enough land if everyone wants to move to that? At end of life, as as I'm not an expert in, in timber by all means, but I'm aware that it's quite difficult at end of life to to recycle because you've you've got it in a certain shape. So we are seeing an increase in in the use of timber, but I think everything comes with its own pros and cons and we need to weigh that up and balance. Yeah, for sure. So concrete then, it sort of feels like the real villain here. I mean, that's an amazing fact that the second used material in the world after water. And I think my research is responsible for 8% of global CO2 emissions, which is huge. Can we fix it? Can we make it greener? How are you, how are you, how are you, how are you taking on the, the challenge of concrete? We already are. We already are. So there's, there's a lot of innovation within the sector to make concrete greener um, a variety of different ways. So concrete is made up of cement, sand, gravel and water as a, as a generic mix. So you can take each component there and try and make it greener. You can also reuse concrete it's one of the first circular materials so you crush it down and use it as a secondary material in your new concretes and as I said at the beginning we need to use less of it as well 
there's places where concrete is absolutely necessary and it's not going anywhere for a long time. But within those areas, can we just make them a little bit smaller or ensure that we don't use as much concrete? And that cuts the carbon footprint quite significantly. And so there's lots of different things that are happening within concrete to reduce its carbon footprint. And we have to remember that that concrete is absolutely vital for our everyday life at the moment. You can't get wind turbines without having concrete foundations. Um, you can't you can't build dams without concrete. So it's it's not going anywhere, and we have a problem now, and we need to start to innovate within the materials itself and the designs and the way we think about concrete as well. And so, which brings us nicely onto what is your solution for it? Are you are you in the sand and gravel area? Are you in the cement area, or are you recycling water? Well, how are you making concrete greener? So what we do at Low Carbon Materials is develop product-based solutions for concrete and the construction sector. So our first product, Osto, is a gravel-like material, but it's two and a half times lighter than gravel, and it's also thermally insulating. So you use that in concrete to significantly reduce the carbon footprint. So Osto itself is carbon negative. And The best thing about it is it's made from waste products that currently are incinerated. So we don't recycle them. We don't reuse them. um, We just just incinerate them. So we spent a long time as a company trying to understand why we do this, why, why we don't value materials at all at end of life, really. And can we add value to materials that would be incinerated and, and do something useful with them. So we've we've spoken just now about the concrete problem and the emissions associated with concrete, but one of the large problems we solve as well is, is incineration and the emissions released from incineration. So I think it's about 48% of our waste in the UK is, is burnt. That's a, an enormous amount of waste and that's responsible for about seven or eight million tons of greenhouse gas emissions and I think that's the same as building or or planting a forest the size of London every single year so what we do with Osto is we provide an alternative lightweight aggregate material for the concrete sector but we also use material that would otherwise have been burnt and release emissions into the atmosphere. So we solve two quite large or help to solve two quite large global challenges. With concrete, the the sort of focus on the um, carbon emissions tends to be around the heating up of cement to produce cement in, in cement kilns. But there's a huge impact as well from sand and gravel extraction. I think it's the most extracted um, resource, um, natural resources, the most extractive natural resource above oil and gas. And you can actually listen back to a past episode on sand stories, which is all about the extraction of sand and gravel and the impact that has on the environment and biodiversity. And so you're enabling that material to be left in the ground and not to be mined with your with Osto. Is, is that the case? Um, so with Osto, it's classed as a lightweight aggregate. So we're primarily targeting other lightweight aggregates. So they're a lesser known class of general aggregates. So sand, gravel, etc. So within that class, you've got pumice. So the, the natural volcanic stone, 
that's mined and, and causing ecological disaster. Um, there's also some other lightweight aggregates as well. So when you're thinking about aggregates in general, there's your your common sand, gravel, but there's also the, these class of lightweight aggregates that are popular to make lightweight concrete that's needed for certain applications. So sand, sand is a really interesting one because it's it's mined and extracted at an enormous rate and we're running out of sand that is suitable for making concrete. It's all about the the size of the particle, uh, the, the shape of the particle, sorry. But actually, when we're talking from a purely carbon perspective, sand isn't very carbon intensive. So I think we almost need to think about are we are we challenging the the carbon footprint or are we challenging like the ecological effects of extracting that much and and using the resource at a rate that isn't sustainable. First Mile is the UK's leading waste management service. We help over 30,000 businesses reduce their carbon impact with our award-winning range of recycling solutions. Go to our website which is the first mile .co.uk to get started today. If you're enjoying this episode, don't forget to subscribe. We have brand new episodes every Wednesday. And the name Osto, uh, it sounds quite familiar. Where's that originated from? Or is it an acronym for a very long sort of technical chemistry type thing? Um, no, I wish it was more complex. <laughs> it's not. We're a bunch of scientists. Um, we, we argue that we're not, we're not too creative with the naming. So it actually stands for zero stone, um, so Osto. But it, yeah, not not an overly interesting story, I'm afraid. <laughs> Good, I like it, zero stone. And then um, you were shortlisted for the Earthshot Prize, which is an amazing achievement. Congratulations. Has that been positive um, with the shortlisting? Is that still, because I think the community still works together and there's a lot of sharing of idea, ideas and resources. Has that been a, a good outcome for you? Have you, have you got funding off the back of that? It, it's been an absolutely incredible experience for us. I mean, being shortlisted as a finalist for the Earthshot Prize is something that I only dreamed of when I watched it last year. So the the amount of support and guidance that the team give us is is incredible. They they listen and they understand exactly where your challenges are, how they can help you, and the network they call it the the Global Alliance, the companies that support the Earthshot Prize are just incredible and the amount of time and just general support that they're willing to give. So yeah, it, it's been a really amazing experience. Um, it's planted us on a global stage a lot sooner than we ever imagined. But I think my favourite thing is just getting to know the other finalists as well and just creating a community of, of people that really want to impact the world in a positive way. And is it a real variety of, because um, uh, we had Notplar on here, who are also, I think they may be the winner. Is it a real variety of businesses in there or are you amongst some other sort of construction materials businesses? Complete variety. That's what I love so much about it. So you've got Notplar making plastic from seaweed. Um, you've got Mercurial Stoves who have redesigned stoves for primarily African families. Um, you've got the city of Amsterdam who are, are trying to create the first circular city. Yeah, just the, the bubble barrier using bubbles to rescue plastic pollution. So there's so much innovation and diversity of background and experience. So within that room, I've, I've just come back from a, um, a retreat where we all got together. And I'm pretty sure you could ask 
anything in that room and someone would have known the answer. So it feels really special to be part of that. You know, the business is well advanced. You've got factory in Durham. What's happening in the what's happening in the factory? Um, that's where I am now, actually. Um, so we lots of different things happen here. So first of all, we've got state of the art concrete labs. So we've got a lot of concrete testing equipment from thermal conductivity, compressional strength, all sorts of different things going on in R&D. And it's our um, vision uh, for LCM to become almost an innovation partner of the concrete and construction industry. So it's our promise that we will always keep innovating within the sector. So Osto is number one, but we've got a lot more in the pipeline um, in terms of R&D. We've also got a um, almost like a pilot line for the manufacturer of Osto, um, which happens here. I've told them to not do it while we're talking, <laughs> but if it's noisy, that's exactly what you're hearing. So yeah, a whole bunch of different things happen here, but I'd say that the special thing is the, the R&D labs for sure. Is there still a lot of chemistry involved in it or are you not really using your chemistry very much? Is there, is there, a, lot of, is there a lot of chemistry in getting the concrete mix, uh, excuse the pun, pun, right? Yeah, absolutely. I think there's a, with concrete, and if anyone's worked with concrete, they'll know it's a perfect amount of science and creativity and almost it's an art concrete. Um, you need to get your moisture levels correct. You need to get your mix looking exactly as you need it to be so absolutely there's uh we've got some really talented scientists um but the the more experienced you are in concrete you realize that you have to you have to be a little bit creative as well so i think yeah definitely definitely need scientific skills for concrete and do you think you said that uh, you know in in your introduction it's very traditional industry construction is it changing? Is there an appetite for your new materials or are you getting a lot of pushback from the, obviously the environmental sector's embracing it. It sounds great with the Earthshot Prize, but actually when you're sort of stood boot to boot with uh, sort of the construction industry, are they very skeptical of anything new? They're just like what they know that works or, or are, you, are you finding that people are ready for change? We're absolutely finding that people are ready for change. It's, it's a really exciting sector to be in now because there's, internal company targets that are, are being placed and people have to meet them and I think in general people are more open to new products and how they use new products I think what we do quite well is we don't completely reinvent the wheel so we're offering a material replacement where the the concrete manufacturer doesn't have to change anything about their current process to use this material the the concrete that's produced at the end looks smells measures weighs exactly the same as traditional concrete so you you almost wouldn't know that the material has been used i think therefore we haven't really seen um significant pushback i can imagine if you try and completely reinvent the wheel and introduce something entirely new that might be different so i think with the with the concrete industry it's for on our point of view it's quite good to not reinvent, completely reinvent the wheel. And there's some massive um, buildings, uh, building projects going on around the world. I mean, we've got a big one here in the UK with High Speed 2. I think it's now going to be a billion pounds. And there's this um, smart city, I think it's called, rather than a sustainable city, smart city in, in Saudi Arabia called The Line, which is meant to be a future of the city. 
are these big construction sites of the, are they considering sustainable materials low carbon materials or or are they just they were sort of planned 20 30 years ago and and they they were just sticking them up with very traditional means but with the sort of facade of being either a smart city or a sustainable transport link yeah um i mean with hs2 in particular um i know they are looking at innovative materials and and using yeah. materials in certain stretches of it so i think the sustainability aspect of it i think it's it's the the first of its kind i think they say that they want to be the first carbon zero railroad road in the uk and i think we have to we might not get it right the first time but at least we've done it and at least there's people are thinking differently to for when we get it better the second time so i think people can say it costs too much it's it's too carbon intensive but actually if we zoom out and look at it in a more broad sense are we training people to think differently trialing new materials so that it almost acts as a um a demonstrator for getting it right and and doing things slightly differently the next time and the next time and the next time and do you think with your sort of um knowledge of putting new materials into concrete and other building materials are we getting to the point where you know, we talked about the line being a smart city and I think Octopus are now working on building houses that are sort of become distributed power generators because they put so many solar panels and heat pumps in them that they export energy. Is there is there an opportunity to have smart building materials where we literally build a house and just plug the blocks together and then we've got either a smart insulating material or a power generation material or a dynamic floor that switches the lights on or is that just sort of a utopian dream no i i think that's great and we we have uh i always chat to our cto about if resources weren't um constrained at all what are the questions we should be asking what should we be demanding of our buildings and this is what excites me most is asking these types of questions and understanding what we can do because I definitely see people demanding or or eventually demanding more from their buildings can we make them more functional can we make them smarter the answer is yes absolutely it's just how and is it financially viable um, and do people want it enough so I I see that that type of thinking and that type of questioning um, happening more and more at LCM. On this show, we're building a hall of fame for climate heroes, and we always ask our wonderful guests to leave something in First Mile's Climate Heroes Hall of Fame. So what or who would it be? In the Hall of Fame, I think I want to put the the city of Amsterdam, so fellow Earthshot finalist. And the reason for this is they're working tirelessly to create the first circular city. And this is extremely complex. So they're rewriting policy and they're rethinking the way that we deal with waste materials and we build and the textile sector and and the job they have in front of them is is enormous. But the fact that they're tackling it with such enthusiasm, for me, they deserve a, a place. And is this, I think that's a, a, a very worthy addition to our Hall of Fame. And our other uh, regular feature, Natasha, if you could have a one-to-one with, I'm hedging my bets here, either Rishi Sunak or Sakir Starmer. What are the key messages that you want to that you talk to them about for Britain and the 
I'm guessing the construction sector. Yeah, I I think what I would probably say is something I'm quite passionate about is cognitive diversity and just multidisciplinary working in general. I really believe that's going to get us to a place where we've we've had the most positive impact on the environment and the most exciting innovation and impactful innovations to come out. Um, so for that to happen, I've experienced completely different languages, depending whether you're in waste or you're in concrete or you're in any other sector, the languages are just extremely different. What someone calls one thing, another sector calls a completely different thing. So there's almost a roadblock for you to access new sectors when you've been experienced in one. So common language is what I would say. Is there any way that we can develop a common language around sustainability and carbon that lowers those hurdles for people just to hop across industries um, and not just spend their life in construction or spend their life in, I don't know, let's let's go wild and say banking. They, they can actually join another industry and understand what's going on within carbon and sustainability. I think that's really important. It's very important for the public to come on board as well, because it always just sounds so complicated when you start talking about sustainability and then the public just switch off if they don't understand that it's not simple. So I think that's a really, a really key point. I mean, there's so many different terms, like what's the difference between carbon zero, net zero, carbon neutral? Like there, there's so many different definitions. So I think aligning on that would be really key. Yeah, no, absolutely. Uh, absolutely. Um, I'm still baffled by half of this as well. And I've been doing it for 25 years. So it's and new terms keep coming along all the time. What does success look like for low carbon materials? So we're, we're at an exciting um, time ourselves at the moment. So we're launching Osto to the market this year. And success for me looks like the the concrete produced with Osto being used in some really interesting demonstrator prototypes. Um, so actually seeing the product that we've spent the last couple of years developing in a real life building, that's ultimate success for me. I mean, there's, there's lots of other little things, but that's what I would pick as, as the ultimate goal. Perfect. And then your launch, will you then uh, partner with an aggregates manufacturer or processor to, to make the Osto? Or will you actually, are you going to be have an even bigger factory in Durham? No, no, exactly. The the former. So we, we're partnering and, and looking for new partners in the concrete manufacturing space. So we've developed this product, but we don't plan to manufacture it on, on a large scale. So we're working with manufacturers and aggregate producers to actually produce the aggregate osto rather than um, us do it at our site. Yeah, great. And what do you think the biggest hurdles are to getting to this sort of success? Is it going to be finding a partner? Is it going to be, do you feel like you've got technical hurdles you need to overcome? Or is it, do you feel it's going to be plain sailing into the sunset? I think for us, we've tried to limit or reduce as many roadblocks as possible. So I mentioned earlier about making sure the product is similar to, to what the sector's used to and, and things like that. So I, I think there will be a few teething issues setting up um production lines and um when you scale things up it never never quite goes to plan and, and things like that but i don't see any unmaneuverable um hurdles in the in the near future for osto and what's the total market size for osto i mean how many how many lightweight building blocks are we using in the uk per year i mean it, i've got no idea is it 
millions, billions? How, how does one measure the size of the market building blocks? So just to give you an idea on concrete in general, a, a stat that blows my mind every time is the plastics industry that is, is quite large is about 3% the size of the concrete industry. So that gives you an idea of how big the sector is. Um, In terms of concrete blocks, um, I think it's about 65 million blocks a month we use. So vast, vast. Any innovation or any slight change in the sector could result in quite significant positive impact to the planet because it is such a vast sector. Natasha, it's been absolutely fantastic having you on First Mars Climate Heroes. Um, before we go, how do people uh, find low-carbon materials? What's your website? So you can find us at lowcarbonmaterials.com or if you're interested in contacting us, um, email contact at lowcarbonmaterials.com. Perfect. Natasha, it's been absolutely fantastic having you on the show. Thank you for telling us all about your work at Low Carbon Materials. Thanks for having me. I'm Bruce Bratley, and you've been listening to First Miles Climate Heroes, where we meet incredible people making an impact to tackle climate change. If you've enjoyed this episode, leave us a review and subscribe to the show. We have brand new episodes every Wednesday.